Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. needs to be made that Charles was her great love. She did love him. In those early first years in learning about the relationship with Camilla, she must have been heartbroken. Everyone said she was a fantastic friend, a great person to spend time with. Funny, we saw that with her sons. She was playful right up until her death. Hi there, and welcome to New Idea Royals. It's the only podcast that reveals what really goes on behind palace doors. I'm Zoe Burrell, and as the anniversary of Diana's death approaches, today we are going to look back at Diana's great loves, secret details from her bodyguard, and modern princesses who have had their fairy tales dashed. Joining us today to share her amazing knowledge is royal expert and commentator, Angela Mollard. Hi, Zoe. Hi, Ange. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I always, around this time where it gets to the death of Diana, I remember very much living in London and that shocking, sudden news and having to go into work in a British newspaper that day and just that feeling in the newsroom as this sort of unprecedented story. This world icon had died. It had happened overnight. We woke up to it. I lived about 10 minutes from our newspaper office. Every single person came in. And as you know, newspaper offices and magazine offices are bubbling, thriving places of chatter and discussion. There's always noise, there's conversation. It is the quietest day I've ever spent in a newspaper office that was so subdued, so sort of sad but yes people couldn't believe it and also my offices that I worked in were just across the road from Kensington Palace so very soon the the flowers started being um, delivered and people were coming and and you know I popped out several times during that week and there's just this growing growing field of flowers so in all my many years in journalism it's it is, remains one of those the most poignant days so I think when it just when it comes around I just think gosh it, it it's now, uh, you know, such a long time ago, but I just remember it so vividly. Anyway, we're talking today about Diana's life. We're talking about her, the fact that she had many great loves. And I think the point needs to be made that Charles was her great love. She did love him. She went into that marriage full of love, full of hope. Yes, she was young. She was 19. She was terribly young. She'd had little experience. She'd worked as a kindergarten teacher. She'd done little else. She'd grown up in a nice posh family, gone to a boarding school, wasn't tremendously intelligent and completely fell for this man, absolutely adored him. And I think in the retelling of the Diana story and we we retell the story and we focus on the black dress and we talk about the animosity and we talk about how they were with each other and we talk about Camilla and Charles – There were years there where they absolutely loved each other, where they were funny, where the Queen, upon seeing Diana up at Balmoral, falling into a bog and getting out of it (laughs) covered in mud, laughing with rosy cheeks, sort of looked at Charles and thought, you know, yes, she is the girl for you because she was fun, because she was... She was great company. She was well raised, so she knew how to have conversations with others and in in different circumstances. As we would see later on in her life, she could approach and talk to anybody. And I think that we forget that 
at the heart of that relationship. We don't know what Charles thought. We know he was clumsy in his use of the word, you know, the word, well, whatever love means Mm. when they got engaged. And he's been pilloried for it for decades since. But there was a genuine love there. It may have fled quickly and and dissipated quickly as well. Uh, Maybe they needed to spend more time. He travelled very soon after they got together, so they didn't have that consolidation period, and perhaps they should have. Remember, he was considerably older than her, but he was her first love. Obviously, when the relationship deteriorated, and it must be remembered that it deteriorated after Diana became aware of his relationship with Camilla, which hurt her dreadfully, as she's spoken about. I mean, in other... as. Years went on, she did become, in some respects, a victim and she would paint herself sometimes as a victim. But in those early first years and learning about the relationship with Camilla, she must have been heartbroken. It's got to hurt, doesn't it? Absolutely. Mm. You know, she was a young woman who had thrown her life at being a royal, at being a wife. Um, She was young, she was youthful, she was uh, spontaneous. Unfortunately, her characteristics were not particularly well suited to royal life, particularly a few decades ago. More so now, I think there would be more room for spontaneity. Uh, but what what you needed back then was to follow the party line, and she wasn't that. She was emotional. She wore her heart on her sleeve. Um, after the breakdown of her relationship with Charles, it, it would have been awful to have thought of her sitting in Kensington Palace, lonely forever after. There were many years after the relationship, uh, after the divorce occurred in 1996, uh, before her death. And she actually did enjoy loving, loving relationships. In fact, very soon after uh, the relationship with Charles broke down, she was had a very close friendship, some say, relationship with her bodyguard, Ooh. Barry Manneke. A lovely guy, very um, supportive of her. I mean, a bodyguard position, as we know from the movies, from the Whitney Houston <laughs> thing, you know, it is a close relationship. Someone is your protector and you become attached to that that manly, masculine role. And, you know, when, you, when your husband's sort of left you and gone off with Camilla, to have someone who's basically protecting your life but is around all the time. It's a shoulder to cry on. And she wasn't a woman that sort of kept her private details to herself. And she was deeply inappropriate at times in the things that she would tell people. So they formed a relationship. Look, what was very sad and what what Diana always wondered was whether or not his death a year after their relationship um, or their closeness, their friendship, whatever you want to call it, was exposed. Uh, he died in a motorcycle accident and she oh, always believed that he had been bumped off. She said um, in Diana, her true story, that she believed that that is what had happened. And for years afterwards, she went to the crematorium where his ashes were scattered and and visited and apparently he gave her a teddy bear which she cherished for many years that was early on that was before the 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 announcement of the divorce uh but when the relationship had broken down obviously james hewitt is one of the big relationships that we know a lot about remember him the redhead Mm, yes Um, we do (laughs) we've heard lots about him (laughs) there's so much speculation around james hewitt but the timing in terms of the suggestions that are regularly made about Harry's paternity, I just, they've never matched up. Um, and we have to remember there is red hair in the Spencer families. It's a, I actually find that allegation cruel now, looking back on it. Yes, she had a relationship with James Hewitt. It lasted a long time. They mostly conducted their relationship down at his mother's cottage on the coast, uh, down in Devon. Um, she would go there. She would do the dishes. They would go for long walks on these deserted beaches. I mean, he was a cad. I've met James Hewitt. <laughs> and he was, I mean, look. You can see how it happened. He taught her to ride horses. He's a little bit dashing. He wears a uniform. But he was 
never a great man, never never someone I thought was uh, worthy of her. I mean, he was a tittle-tattle. He went on to write a book and he's basically traded off their relationship ever since and not done a lot with his life. Um, quite interestingly, he, he looks quite aged now and it gives me great pleasure when I see pictures of him on the rare occasions. I mean, just, I don't know, I just never really liked him. Sorry about that. Who I did like, and I was in London covering this story at the time, was Oliver Hall, the art dealer. Oh, now, this was course. a fascinating, fascinating Wasn't relationship. It? So he was an art dealer. He was friends with Prince Charles and Camilla, which could have been part of the appeal for Diana. And the princess became really close to him in around 1992, so before the divorce had been finalised. Um, they met each other. There was... Uh, gossip about the fact that he was seen hiding behind a pot plant in Kensington Palace at one time. But what really set tongues wagging was when a story broke, and I remember this day that this broke in London, when it was actually really hard to believe, was that Oliver Hall went to the police because he'd had these 300 silent nuisance calls from an... uh, He didn't know what the phone number was, and the police tracked the calls and immediately... They were, uh, Diana became implicated that she was the one that had phoned and hung up. Um, this was all over the papers. And I, I mean, it was imagine. so tawdry, the thought that, you know, you've got this caller, um, you know, stalking this art dealer, and it turns out to be the Princess of Wales. I mean, it wasn't a fine moment in royal history. It was understandable, though, again, a lovely well-brought-up, well-mannered man um, who showed a bit of attention, clearly became her friend. Perhaps he realised that that it couldn't go any further. I mean, he was a married man. The big love of her life after Charles was Hasnet Khan. You know, a, a relationship that was solid, that had they have been able to have been a couple, might have seen her have the happiness that long eluded her. He was a man of great depth and stature. He was a doctor, a surgeon. They met uh, when she visited London hospitals at night. She They met in a hospital lift, apparently. He was unassuming. He was quiet. As she said, she called him Mr. Wonderful. They met in September 1995. And for many years, she would go and visit him at his flat. She would do the dishes. Um, she met his family. She uh, learned a lot about uh, Muslim cult- culture. She... You know, she she was deeply in love with him. She wanted him to be her future. And he apparently was deeply in love with her, but just could not foresee a future where they would not have attention on them. I mean, he was a man committed to his work within um, in healing as a medic, and that was important to him. And I and think it's, it's understandable too, because you would be hounded every day, I'm sure. It would have been a hideous mm. life for him. And I think she, in that romantic, idealistic... I mean, remember, she grew up reading Barbara Cartland novels. So she's a, a girl invested in the romantic. He's a man invested in the practical. And, you know, he just, at the end, said, I, I can't do this. And very heartbreaking for her, apparently. You know, she she had gone to great lengths to make sure that this relationship would be lasting. She put on wigs and went to his favourite jazz club. She, you know, was playful with him. She once turned up wearing a fur coat. I mean, this is not the sort of man he was. He, you, if you saw pictures of him, he shuffled around in what seemed like the same trousers all the time. But a man <laughs> of great heart, great dignity. And this came at a, lot, her, at a time in her life where she had really pivoted towards all of the purposes, landmines, uh, children, AIDS, uh, survivors, those sorts of things. His area of interest uh, worked incredibly closely with her areas of interest. So it was a profound and 
connected relationship. It just sadly didn't have the mechanism to last. And I think that's what led to her, you know, her relationship with Dodie Fayed. She was, it was a rebound. That was never going to be a relationship that lasted if if they had both not died. I mean, he was a playboy. He was all bling and yachts and gold watches. And Yes, well, he, we remember all those holidays on the yachts. Oh, we, exactly. And that, they were only, I know, they were only together as a couple for a few weeks, but they were permanently on mm. holiday. Granted, it was in the <laughs> middle of the um, European summer. <laughs> but just the things that they were doing didn't. You know, it's it was the typical revenge relationship. Well, not revenge, but the what do you call it when you um when you bounce back off someone? What's that called? A rebound. Rebound yeah. relationship. Exactly. <laughs> rebound relationship. God, I'm lost for words today. I'm, t- I'm trying to remember too many um boyfriends. Um, and um yeah, I think it would never that would never have lasted. And um and sadly, they met their better end. Mm. Do you think had Diana survived? Do you think she would have found happiness? I really do. Actually, I think she. I don't know who with and I don't know in what culture and I don't know where she would have lived, but she was growing in maturity. She had learned that fundamental human concept that happiness comes from giving to others and she had made that her life's work. Um, I think she would have moved more and more in those circles with, uh, you know, NGOs, charities, and I think she would have met someone of high calibre, somebody who didn't like the limelight but perhaps was more willing than Hasnat Khan to embrace a life with her. Mm. I think she would have met somebody quiet, uh, not a celebrity, not someone, you know, not someone glamorous but someone really solid. Who knows where they would have lived? Who knows what their lives might have been like? But I think... She had the opportunities. Her life was expanding in different realms, you know, and she was to all, you know, everyone said she was a fantastic friend, a great person to spend time with, funny. We saw that with her sons. She was playful right up until her death. You know, she was a person that you'd want to spend time with. She was amusing and heartfelt and affectionate. So she had all the qualities to be in a good relationship. If only she had been. Yeah, I know. It's it's still so tragic. Mm. Yeah. And, of course, much has been made of the Queen's coldness towards Diana, but she actually tried quite hard, didn't she? She really tried hard with Diana. Uh, she recognised early on that Diana was very young and she supported her. Look, as I said last week, we she's the one that spotted Diana. They were at Palmoral. She was coming out of this. um, She'd fallen over in the mud and she was laughing her head off, rosy cheeked. And she sort of, the Queen turned to Charles and and really thought that she would be a perfect person for him. Of course, their families had grown up close by up in Norfolk in uh, Sandringham and uh, the Spencer family estate were very close. So they'd known each other. Uh, Of course, the Queen's private secretary, Robert Fellows, was married to Diana's sister. So she knew the royal ways. I think the Queen saw her as young, fresh and somebody that would make Charles happy. And she was very good uh, in social situations. She knew how to speak to people. She was lively. Prince Philip adored her. What is interesting is that even when the relationship deteriorated with Charles, you can tell that the Queen still had a fondness for Diana. Of course, it's been well reported that she handled events surrounding her death incredibly badly. But when Diana and Charles were divorcing and when when the Queen understood that the relationship with Camilla had been incredibly damaging for Diana and when she actually wrote the final letter to her, well, not the final letter, I'm, we don't know if she wrote to her after this, but when she basically instructed Charles and Diana to get a divorce after Diana went on the Panorama program and 
gave the, the three of us in this marriage speech. The Queen's letter to Diana said, Dearest Diana, and she opened it that way and she signed it off, Love Mama. So she wasn't writing to her as a woman wagging her finger at her and telling what, from the Queen's perspective, telling her what to do. She was writing to her as her mother-in-law, full of love and with respect and regard for what, not not just what was going to lie ahead, but what she'd been through. And I think it must have been tremendously difficult for the Queen, but it's often we focus on how badly, thanks to movies like The Queen with Helen Mirren, how badly the Queen reacted. But it can't have been easy for her. She had to show allegiance to her son, yet her son was the one that had initiated his affair with Camilla, thus precipitating the events that unfolded for Diana. So I think the Queen had the wisdom to understand that, and we forget that she was perhaps much closer and fonder of Diana than we're often led to believe. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Mm. Now, Diana's former bodyguard has given details on what it was like to work for Diana, hasn't he? Yes, Ken Wharf, who was a lovely guy. He was working when I was in, in London, her former personal protection officer. Look, he's spoken out about, in response to the fact that Meghan and, uh, has lost all the staff and that members of the Royal uh, Support Tech basically leave regularly. And he said it's a really hard job. It can be very mundane. The thrill of working for a royal wears off, that it's hard work, you know, you're below stairs. It's not a nine-to-five job. You can be doing any kind of different things uh, throughout the day. But he said the rewards are terrific. You know, you travel well. You um, you often get free accommodation. There's lots and lots of staff that actually live at the palace. You get to go on tours, particularly in his job. Uh, and he says that some of the, the people that have quit, particularly those working for Megan, which has been – a lot has been made of this recently, that the jobs are very demanding. There's lots and lots of um, perks, but you have to be a person that fits right with both of those things. So, you know, for instance, if you want to travel regularly with your own family, that makes it difficult because, you know, you have to be around. Of course, they get paid holidays and things, but it's a very unique position. You have to be on call a lot of the time. Some people would love that. Some people would would hate that. And that's the point that he makes, that we probably shouldn't always critique the fact that you lose staff because they don't know what it's like. It's a particular, you can't practice that job anywhere else. There's no one else you can go and pretend to be a royal for until you're actually working for the royal family. And that's unique and uh, obviously requires enormous amounts of discretion and uh, integrity. Yeah, it would definitely be a very high pressure filled job. I would say so. And when you get things wrong, it goes global. As yes. we've seen with the Sussex PR team in, of late, the handling of the baby uh, being born was just a PR disaster, and they, you know, they've had blowback on that. So I think it, you know it is pretty difficult. Uh, you you have to be prepared to be up to scrutiny regularly. Yes, don't you? And finally, going back to Diana, because of her sudden death, she's often regarded as the most tragic of princesses, but there's actually been a few others struggling in their roles, haven't there? Yes, I know. We only talk about Diana, but Princess Charlene of Monaco, she walked down the aisle with Prince Albert uh, and there was a lot of concern that she was crying because she actually didn't want to get married. I mean, a lot of people said that those don't look like tears of happiness. Uh, she was. Uh, they've been married for eight years now. She regularly heads off to Paris. It's really unknown 
to what extent it is a happy marriage. It doesn't look like a particularly happy marriage. The, the newspapers in France report that it's not. Um, she once had her passport confiscated at Nice Airport. Uh, presumably they thought she was going to flee. Um, they have two children, of course, the four-year-old twins uh, mm. who are the... They're quite cute. They are they? very cute. <laughs> but, you know, I, Albert doesn't look like an easy man, does he? He was a playboy in his day and, you know, remember she was... Fantastic swimmer. She's determination. So presumably she's pushing through. The other one that's really interesting, though, is Pr- Princess Latifah from Dubai, who actually did do a runner. She left. Oh, wow. She up and left. The 32-year-old had no passport. So when she got a message from friends in March last year to say that, that she got a message, she got a message out to her friends saying she'd left Dubai, she scampered that she was um, – just the whole system in Dubai with with the the regard, lack of regard for women just became too much for her. And there's actually a BBC documentary about it called Escape from Dubai where they claim that the princess had in fact been planning her escape for years. So it wasn't just Diana that had a hard time in the royal family. There's plenty of them that struggle uh, the world over with the constraints of their particular cultures and, of course, the duty and hierarchy that are innate in these royal families. Yeah, I don't blame them. I mean, I know I'd love to be a princess, but it comes with a lot of baggage. Yeah, I know. Could you just have the wardrobe but none of the responsibilities? (laughs) That would be great, wouldn't it? Exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Ange. Thanks, Zoe. And thank you so much to everyone for listening. For more on the Royals, please go to newidea.com.au or our Facebook page, New Idea Royals. And don't forget to pick up the latest issue of the New Idea Royals Monthly on sale now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.